0: This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock?
1: Tech story is front and center. What
0: will this wind up doing to the cost curve?
2: Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. It feels
0: like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in.
2: This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele.
0: Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years
3: on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You are listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Christina Kino joins me again uh, from London and Guy Johnson is still off today. So this was a week. Um, There is still a lot of news out there. I just want to get through some of the earnings that we had. We had Hermes slipping from a record level. Um, They have a really high valuation and didn't have a special dividend. That disappointed, say, Citigroup. Mercedes-Benz rose a nice €4 billion uh, buyback plan. Uh, NatWest shares, they tanked, though. They issued guidance that disappointed. That's kind of the individual story. But, man, it was definitely a macro Friday, Christine.
4: Definitely a Macro Friday, Alex. And what a whiplash week as well, isn't it? I mean, we started off the week with some pretty encouraging U.S. economic data, which apparently was bad news for markets. But then at the end of the day, markets rallied off of that. And then we saw that again yesterday with a PPI print repeat ad nauseum. Uh, there's a lot of mixed signals in the markets this more, this this week, really. And I'm very keen to dig into a lot of those with you.
0: And I appreciate you spending your evening with me uh, on Friday. We're going to get to all of that plus today market action. But first, let's get some headlines with Charlie Pellett. Hi,
5: thank you very much, Alex Steele. Here's what's going on. Rishi Sunak told parties in Northern Ireland that significant progress has been made toward agreeing on new post-Brexit trading arrangements for the region, though a deal with the European Union has yet to be finalized. The UK Prime Minister held a series of meetings with politicians in Northern Ireland to discuss the status of discussions with the EU to resolve the biggest hangover of Britain's exit from the bloc three years ago, and that is how goods move between the region and the rest of the UK sources say Qatari investors are reading a roughly 5 billion pound opening bid for Manchester United ahead of what's expected to be a fierce bidding war for the English football giant a deal for Manchester United could represent the biggest takeover of a professional sports club on record potentially surpassing uh, the amount that was paid last year four and a half billion dollars by a group led by Walmart Air Rob Walton for the Denver Broncos NFL team Germany's these two largest airports came to a virtual standstill today as ground staff stage another strike over pay, exacerbating an already chaotic week for air travel. After a system outage brought down Deutsche Lufthansa's operations two days ago, that is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York.
0: All right, Charlie, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Charlie, we'll be back in about half an hour. So here's what moved the markets earlier today. Isabel Schnabel had an interview with Bloomberg. And here's part of what she said. She said markets are priced for, for, for perfection. They assume inflation is going to come down very quickly toward 2% and is going to stay there while the economy is going to do just fine. That would be a very good outcome, but there is a risk that inflation proves to be more persistent than is currently priced in by financial markets. And that kind of shook stuff up. Markets re-rated the terminal rate a little bit higher. Um, you did have it sell off in the bond market, which, by the way, reversed uh, later on right into the close. And equity markets traded a little uh, heavier on that. They closed down just by about five tenths of one percent. Let's dig into it. Uh, ben Ram, Bloomberg Cross Asset Strategist, joins us now. Ben, I can't believe you're doing this on a Friday night. You were awesome. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from what Schnabel said and sort of the market reaction?
1: Thank you, Alex. I think that what Isabel uh, has said, Isabel Schnabel said this morning, is kind of fund- fundamentally re-alters the calculus on the ECB terminal rate, where the where the markets were pricing in a terminal rate of 3.50, they are now pricing in uh, pretty much 3.75, and a 4% on the terminal rate is not unfathomable, given the pace at which the ECB is going. We know that they are going to go to 3% by the, by the end of March, and by the end of the summer, it's not inconceivable that they could get to 4% if they go in 25 basis point hikes thereafter. They may well go at a much faster pace, but 4% is in the 3, 375 to 4% is very much in the crosshairs for now.
4: So then let's walk this back a little bit and talk a little bit about why or how markets came to be priced for perfection in the first place, as Isabel Schnabel uh, was referring to. I mean, I think earlier in uh, at the start of the year, we kind of got a bit of a positive surprise in Europe with a slightly milder winter, lower energy prices. And I think there's some optimism coming from China as well. Um, I mean, do you think that these are part and parcel of the story that kind of made Europe more optimistic about the future and how do these factor against uh, the very real inflation threat that we're still facing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where the winter has proved far milder than uh, anyone thought, um, natural gas prices have come off their highs and therefore it is still quite. The consumer has quite a bit of the marginal uh, spending left in their account, and that is playing through into the economy. And the economy has been much more resilient than anyone thought. Uh, so much so that Goldman Sachs and other banks don't think that a recession is likely any time this year. And the ECB's central projection for inflation this year is six point three percent. And if you look at the 4%, 375 to 4% terminal rate pricing in the market, that still leaves the ECB with a very real negative real rate. And that means that even with those kind of figures that, that we have seen this morning, the, we should expect uh, more surprises coming through on the hawkish side, not on the dovish side.
0: So then what do you make of the market reaction? And I guess it's too, for, let's just take FX for a second. Why was the euro down? I just, it, it truly perplexed me.
1: Well, the euro is down. It's not done much this year after the bull in January, we have seen, for a simple reason. It's just that inflation adjusted rates uh, it, it, haven't really moved in favor of the euro, or they, neither have they moved in too much in favor of any other G10 currency for the matter, which is why we have seen the dollar come back as strongly as it has done this month. And as long as real yields don't move fundamentally, I don't think there is a case for euro bullishness. But I don't think that the dollar is, having said that, I don't think that the dollar is going to go back to its highs of 114 on the Dixie that we saw last year.
4: Now, yeah, that's a good segue into my next question, actually, which is, I guess, how does this factor into the bigger environment for central banks generally? Of course, we've seen as well uh, hawks from the Fed coming out in full force, um, uh, similar to the ECB this week. So then, you know, what must be the thinking over at the ECB with regard to what the Fed is doing? Is it possible that we get into another kind of race to um, hike interest rates further from here?
1: Absolutely, Christine. I do. I do think that you know we we are likely to see a reacceleration of those pets, and we are already seen, we have already seen quite a bit of that this week. And you know we've seen the non-form payrolls expansion in the U.S. It was mind blowing at 517 k. We've seen retail sales jump to their highest level in two years, and and inflation. We, instead of getting disinflation this uh, in January, we got a reacceleration in inflation. And that means that the Fed has to keep going really, nilly. where the policymakers were penciling in a top rate of 525. The markets are already thinking it's going to be 550. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed has to go even higher than that.
0: Hey, is positioning reflective of this backdrop in the FX market? Is positioning reflective of this backdrop, say, in the FX market?
1: Well, at the moment, the markets have definitely recalibrated. And where the dollar was being sold on heavily in January, we have come off those levels. And definitely the markets are kind of treading water. But I do think that if there is any semblance that, look, the economy is going to roll over, the U.S. economy in particular is going to roll over at some point, I do think that the euro longs and the pound longs will come back.
0: Yeah, it feels like... I don't know. It feels pretty dicey. It feels like what, you could see a lot of whippy action based on that. Um, ben, thanks a lot. Go enjoy your weekend. Ben Ram joining us. Bloomberg cross asset a strategist. Um, Christine, and that's where I, I come to the dollar, right? So we were asking on television at the 10 o'clock hour, um, is a dollar going to be king again? And many people were expecting short term dollar weakness and then maybe a stronger. dollar. No, excuse me, flip it. Near term dollar strength and then a weaker dollar in the future. But if we really outrun that dollar strength a bit,
4: you got to redo some recalibration out there. Absolutely, Alex. It's going to be interesting, but also good news for your trip.
0: Yes, I'm leaving on a jet plane on Sunday. I'm going to Europe, although the exchange rate here was not great. I'm just saying. I even was like, what? It's trading at 106. What are you quoting me 114 for? But that was a whole different story. Um, coming up, Christine and I are going to talk about NatWest and their earnings and the decline down 6%. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening and listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB, Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Christina Kino is in for Guy Johnson. Nat Westock um, closed down I think 6% on Friday. It issued 2023 guidance that disappointed. It did stick with the previous range for its profitability for this year, but it just really wasn't enough. Also, they're looking at net interest margins unchanged this year at 3.2% despite uh, hikes from the BOE. It's one of the world's biggest banks. Um, so we were able to sit down with the CEO Allison Rose um, and sort of talk through some of the issues uh, underlying the company. She sat down with Francine Laqua and Mark Cudmore, and they started off on the signs of signs of distress. Are people spending less? Do they have any concerns within um, the economy?
3: What we are seeing is um, continuing growth in the economy um, and and people um, reacting well and and, and managing well. But it is really tough. The economic environment continues to be challenging. In our book, we're not seeing signs of distress. In fact, our arrears levels, for example, on mortgages or in businesses are well below pre-COVID levels. So there's an incredible resilience. But obviously, uh, people are facing real challenges with the squeeze of the cost of living, with higher interest rates, with higher inflation. And so particularly lower income households are really struggling. Those people who don't have savings, who don't have borrowings are are really living hand to mouth in some cases. So we're we're working with charity partners. But across our book, very low levels of arrears, very low 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 levels of stress, but high anxiety and high concern.
2: Alison, good morning. Thank you for joining us. As you say, there is a real cost of living crisis out there. Many people are really suffering. Your business, the results are good. It's being very resilient. Does that make you worry about the prospect of a 2023 windfall tax on profits?
3: I mean, they are good results and and we're delivering good performance. I think from the banking sector in the UK, um, our sector pays more tax than anyone else. We pay the normal corporation tax and there's already a bank levy that is still in place. So we're paying more tax than any other sector and, of course, um, uh, higher tax than other banking sectors around the world. So I think um, with with that that level of tax, I think we're making a good contribution.
4: Uh, What more can banks do to help with the cost of living crisis?
3: Well, I think from our perspective, what we're focusing on is practical support. Um, uh, really helping people build savings habits is one area we're really focused on. Um, in the UK, one in four people have less than £100 in savings, and that, that means their financial resilience when you do get hits, as, as we have in the economy, are tough. So we're helping people build regular savings habits. Um, we're helping those households with the lowest income, working with charity partners such as Citizens Advice uh, And uh, Trussell Trust, putting money into them to help parts of the community that really need. And then, particularly, we're helping people manage their money. So, um, our financial health checks, of which we did over 700,000 last year, are helping people think about their whole balance sheet. For businesses, it's about real practical support, Um, targeted support for areas like agriculture, where we've put additional lending in, and then really helping them manage the different challenges. I think the big thing to remember is for a lot of households and businesses, they haven't operated in a high inflation, high interest rate environment for for over a decade. And so there are different ways in which businesses need to think and manage, different ways households need to budget. So practical support is, I think, what we can do to really help people navigate this period.
2: Alison, you mentioned there about consumers and helping them with their savings. One of the things I'm interested in, and in context of what we heard from Barclays earlier on this week, is what, what do you think about the competition from fintechs, particularly around savings rates? And is that putting a lot of upward pressure in terms of the, the rates you're offering? How worried are you by this competition?
3: I mean I think each each bank or fintech will have um, different requirements um, from a funding and liquidity perspective so a lot of the fintechs will be looking to raise funding and so um, high interest rates are really um, an area that they will look at on deposits Uh, we can compete really effectively with that Um, we offer something like six percent on our digital regular saver really competitive rates on our fixed rate deposits and our funding and liquidity position is is very strong so we're very able to compete, but we'll also manage um, against our balance sheet as well. So um, I think it's about making sure we're managing our book and also being competitive, which I'm very comfortable we're able to do so.
0: That was Alison Rose, Natweck Group CEO, speaking earlier to Mark Cudmore and Francine Lockwell. We're going to get more into the UK consumer. UK retail sales surprised to the upside in January. We're going to get the view on the economy uh, coming up next. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Christina Kino is over in the UK. Here was a surprise. Retail sales rose five-tenths of one percent in January on a month-on-month basis. We were expecting a drop of about three-tenths of one percent. A couple ways to think about it. Is the economy actually better than we think? Or are people having to pay more and spend less? Pay more to buy less. How about that? Pay more to buy less because of inflation. (laughs) You can look at it either direction. Um, Christine, what about you? Were you spending a lot in January?
4: Um, I can't say that I have, Alex, uh, mm. because January is usually a lean month. And so I think that's why this was quite a surprise, especially because we did see a surprise drop in December when you would have expected people to be spending more. So a lot, again, of mixed signals in this data, definitely a lot to dig into. So let's bring in our experts, uh, Lucy White, who was here bright and early this morning at 7 a.m. covering this data. She is our UK economy reporter. Welcome, Lucy. So, yes, let's dig right into it because- because it's quite the surprise, maybe a small surprise, but still. Um, what do you make of the figures and what can you read into this? Is the consumer really kind of turning a corner or is it too soon to say that?
6: It's all been pretty mixed over the past few days, to be honest. So um, as you mentioned, it, it is a surprise. The figures were a surprise, you know, up by 0.5 percent instead of down. Uh, the expectations which were down by 0.3 of a percent um as you say as well this is up from a drop of 1.2 percent in december which which was larger than expected but it the office of national statistics said that people were taking advantage of uh, discounting in january which may explain perhaps why uh, we've seen this upside surprise you know perhaps it's that uh, consumers maybe didn't want to part with their cash in december but you know seeing seeing some good discounts in in january have been a little more willing to, to splash the cash Um, I think some of the interesting areas are where they were spending as well Um, for example you know um, jewellers, cosmetic stores, carpet and and furnishing shops were Mm -hmm. all pulled out by the Office for National Statistics as some of the areas where people were spending and perhaps that shows you know that there is really a divide in the consumer at the moment you know those perhaps wealthier consumers who have been able to Save up cash during the pandemic, and you know haven't been affected by the cost of living crisis so much, um, are spending money on those discretionary purchases. Mm-hmm. But food sales, on the upside, uh, on the other side, were. Down quite a way, um, so you know it perhaps shows that the the poorest consumers, um, who haven't been able to you know um, to, to to keep up their spending, are just not being able to um, buy the same quantities of food that they were before. Um, it's is worth it? saying as well. Sorry, it's worth saying as well that this is uh, volumes as well uh, by value. Um, the, the value of sales is up 14% from pre-pandemic levels. So people really are spending more to buy less.
0: So it, it, it does feel like it's still really confusing. I mean, case in point. Do, do we know about services in this? Uh,
6: I don't have the services numbers at hand. But um, no, it, it, is, it is a mixed set of data because you've got the... Um, You've got the inflation figures that we had earlier this week, which do show that inflation is moderating, but it's still in the double digits. Um, we had wages figures which show that real wages are still falling, although nominal wages are rising by some of the highest rates on record. So, you know, it's a really mixed picture. And, and, and especially when we look um, to what the Bank of England is going to be, the data that the Bank of England is going to be looking at before its next rate decision. Um, it, it is a pretty mixed picture.
4: Now, Lucy, you were also out covering Pill um, the day before, just kind of talking about the risk of over-tightening uh, by the Bank of England, right? So let's kind of put uh, the data into the context of the BOE's thinking right now. We've seen kind of a signal from them that they might start thinking about slowing the pace of rate hikes, and then you get kind of uh, retail sales figures that look to be positive on the surface, but there's actually a lot of kind of more of a mixed picture underneath it. Um, and so does this all kind of make... Sense the direction of travel we're going, where the BUE is kind of calibrating expectations for um, a slower pace of hikes uh, in the near future.
6: We've also had some mixed messaging from the Bank of England, which, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously um, very concerned about the risk of over tightening um, and. The pressure that that could put on consumers. And they've been clear to note as well that there is still a lot of tightening to come through from from the rate hikes that they've already done, you know, still to come through, you know, for example, in mortgage rates as people remortgage over the next few months. Um, So there is still a lot of the of the tightening effect to come through. But they're also very, very worried about the risk of under tightening and letting inflation carry on. At you know, it's still near forty one year highs, so you know it, it is a bit of a headache for them at the moment. Um, and like you say, you know, we've we've had some really mixed data, and it's it's going to be, I think, an, an interesting decision as mm-hmm. as the next month approaches. I mean, we've got public finances data next week as well, which will. Um, show how the, how the public finances are faring at the moment, obviously, with higher um, interest payments and so on. So, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting month for the bank. Um, to that point, if we
0: have to re-rate the terminal rate a bit higher for the Fed and the ECB, what do we do about the BOE with that?
6: It, it could be that we see some divergence, I think, but... Um, it, it's all going to come down to the data that we see over the coming months, uh, and I don't, I don't think anyone really knows where that's headed at the moment. You know, I've seen some people today uh, saying that the uh, retail sales data could add to, the, um, add to calls for the Bank of England to keep hiking rates because you know the, the, it was a it was a beat. I've seen people say mm-hmm. that um, you know it also means the converse because although retail sales were higher than expected they're still not great you know this comes after a really bad drop in december so you know it's really too early to say i think
4: yeah and Let's kind of talk about how the BUE compares with the Fed and ECB in terms of what they be, need to be doing. Because mm-hmm. just looking at the nominal inflation rate, the UK still has the highest out of the, the major economies, right? So uh, do
6: you think that they have kind of the tough, toughest job out of all of the three major central banks? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, they've uh, they've been having some of the problems that that europe has experienced with the incredibly high energy prices they've also been experiencing some of the u.s problems that um you know including a really tight labor market mm-hmm. so it's kind of got as as i think some of the uh, policymakers on the bank of england's uh, monetary policy committee have said themselves they've got the worst of both worlds um and i don't know how you deal with that
0: yeah no i i don't want to be a central banker no, particularly exactly. when it comes to being one in the UK, Lucy. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you putting in the long day for us, Lucy White, uh, joining us, breaking down UK retail sales. Uh, coming up, we are going to head to the Munich Security Conference, kicked off day one. Uh, Ukraine, China, US, all in play during this conversation. We'll get the latest on the ground. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB, a digital radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Christina Kino's in for Guy Johnson over in the UK. So U.S. stocks getting hit a little bit here. Yeah, maybe you could say it's a whole Fed thing, hawkish thing, but really, as I choke on my own saliva... <coughs> There we go. This happens when you eat in commercial breaks. Um, Two other things are happening. One, you have energy continues to get pressured, having its worst week so far this year, and that's really dragging on energy stocks, particularly the U.S. uh, exploration and production companies. You also wind up having tech. Um, Apple and Microsoft are one of the biggest uh, drag uh, laggards on the NASDAQ. Um, There was an article in the New York Post talking about Apple cutting contract workers. Now, They haven't actually overhired in the pandemic. So this is actually a real concern about demand and that all sort of weighing on equity market sentiment. Maybe it's not just about the Fed. Can I say that? Is that...
4: You're allowed to. I'm I allowed to. think it's to. allowed
0: to. Right, yeah. Well, I choke on my food. Okay, so that's a quick snapshot here in the U.S. Now let's get some other headlines with Charlie
5: Pellett. I thank you very much, Alex. Steele. here's what's going on. Nurses in England will strike for 48 hours straight at the start of next month, including in emergency departments and intensive care units for the first time. As unions vent their fury at the government's refusal to negotiate a higher pay raise, the Royal College of Nursing says it will strike from 6 a.m. on March 1st to 6 a.m. on March third in an escalation of industrial action. NatWest group shares fell 6.9% today after issuing 2023 guidance that disappointed some investors, even as it said it will start a fresh share buyback after a surge in fourth quarter profit. ASDA has unveiled plans to give its store employees a double pay rise this year as the UK's stubborn inflation continues to weigh on living standards. The UK's third largest supermarket will ramp up salaries by 10% across two stages, with one raise in April and another in July. It means that shop staff across the UK will earn 11 11 an hour, up from 10 10 currently. In Greater London, as is set to pay $12.28 an hour, up from 11 27 Bottom line, though, another sign of retailers' margins being squeezed by rising costs. That is the latest from the news desk, Alex Steele. Back to you now. You're all right, here in New York. I'm
0: good. good. We're good. I got it. a little stuffy nose. Have too. a great so weekend, so by posting. the way.
5: You're you're going away.
0: Yes, I'm going to Florence on Sunday. My first real trip uh, in years, so a revenge
5: travel or just an opportunity to get away?
0: No, just an opportunity. My mom's 80th birthday. So try and do something nice for her and my daughter. Girls. Wow. Trip.
5: Yeah. Unbelievable. Have It'll fun. be something. It'll that's be great. something. Yep.
0: Enjoy. Um all right, Charlie, thanks a lot. Good to see you. Have a good weekend. Um okay, so what also is happening this weekend, that's what I'm doing. Um, Christine, what are you doing? Anything exciting?
4: I am gonna see the ABBA show tonight. <gasps> this is the their hologram show that apparently oh. is a fantastic show, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: That sounds really awesome. Maria Tadeo also has kind of an awesome weekend. Uh, She is at the Munich Security Conference. This is day one. Tomorrow, she will have a panel uh, in which UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will also be present. I mean, that sounds pretty fun. It's not Florence or an ABBA concert, but like, you know, it's close. Um, It's its
4: own kind of
2: fun. It's its
0: own kind of fun for Maria. Um, Hey, Maria, first of all, set up day one. What did we learn so far today?
2: Yeah, and I just happened to, to bump in. You know, the, the the funny thing about a conference like this is that you have some of the most powerful people in the same place, which is a very tiny hotel. And you walk around, and I just happened to walk in into China's top diplomat, Wang Yi, almost walking out of her room. And I was walking into that room, and then I just happened to bump into him, who is going to be one of the leading voices tomorrow, because he has a panel to explain China's place in the world. Now, in the context of the week that we've had and the last few weeks that we've had with The balloons, the the flying objects. I'm not even sure how to describe them anymore. It will be an interesting one. That is for day two. In terms of day one today, uh, look, we've heard from President Zelensky repeating, there is no alternative to Ukraine winning the war if the world is serious about security. We also heard from the German Chancellor, who funnily enough now says Germany is one of the fastest ones when it comes to uh, weapons deliveries, and everyone else should speed it up. And the French President seeing something which to me was very very interesting uh, at this point there is no room for dialogue with Russia the operation has failed for Vladimir Putin the war is going to be long but Russia cannot and should not win it so that's everything for day one of course a lot to be played out tomorrow and Sunday too here in Munich
4: Yeah, sounds like it's going to be an exciting weekend, Maria. And we hear you're going to be speaking to quite a few dignitaries as well, including our very own Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak. What can we expect out of that conversation and what do you think his focus will be, given that he seems to be battling several fronts uh, at the moment over here and overseas?
2: Yeah, look, to me this is going to be an interesting one, especially the UK delegation this time around. It it has a big delegation. You have the defence minister here, the foreign minister, Secretary also coming to this event and then the Prime Minister tomorrow with this keynote and then uh, this panel that we're going to be doing from 1pm local time uh, CET time and it's about the UK's place in the world and to me it's a fascinating topic to some extent because I've covered many of these meetings and over the past few years as a result of Brexit, no surprise there has been this narrative around the UK that it was almost a declining power it was a country that was retrenching and pulling back as a big geopolitical agent, fascinating to see whether Rishi Sunak, act- in fact, pushes back against the narrative and, and kind of says the U.K. is a big actor and wants to cooperate with with Europe and the energy security and the energy infrastructure of the continent. Of course, the U.K. has a big role because it has left the EU, but it's still part of continental Europe. So to me, I- I'm very curious to see how he defines uh, this new era of U.K. relationships with uh, allies and partners in the context of this war Especially, too, if I may say very quickly, it does seem that we are approaching, finally enough, the end game for Brexit. There have been final tensions over the Northern Irish uh, border and the protocol there based on the news that are coming out. And I will ask him this question tomorrow. It seems a deal is now reachable. And that means the last, this was the final piece of legislation that was a problem between the EU and the UK could be solved. And that means potentially everyone gets to turn the page now after all of these years. Uh, can we say
0: last page for Brexit, Christine? Is that like allowed?
4: <laughs> we might be jinxing it, so maybe not.
0: <laughs> and we can blame Maria for that one, right? <laughs> um, Maria, all jokes I hope aside. Not. Um, what? Uh, you, and you mentioned the balloon saga and scenario there. Do we expect Antony Blinken to meet with his counterpart there? Like, I know you mentioned that you ran into the dignitaries there from China. Like, what's the vibe?
2: Yeah, from Wang Yi. You know, this is one of the the, the key uh, figures here uh, is the voice of China, so to speak, in this in this conference. And uh, one of the key issues beyond Ukraine, which has been an earthquake for European security, and this is why, especially in continental Europe, this is uh, the story that dominates. Every major discussion, be it politics, energy, the economy. But beyond that, there is an, an, a bigger theme, if, if I may say so, of the future relationship between the United States and China. And that is potentially going to redefine, even on a bigger scale, a global politics. By now, it's obvious that these are two countries that are rivals, that compete. But the big question in this Munich Security Conference is, can you have competition without Conflict, and this is why we're on the lookout for a bilateral meeting, perhaps a very casual encounter. You know, this happens in these conferences; people bump into each other and corridors. I think it really allows for a more informal exchange of potential views between the two sides. Nothing formal on the agenda, but the beauty of a conference like this, a Munich Security Conference, is you're essentially locked up in a hotel. And chances are you're going
0: to bump into each other at one point. No, fair enough. I have no choice. Um, Maria, great stuff. Good luck this weekend. Enjoy yourself, Maria Tadeo, uh, joining us to discuss the Munich Security Conference this weekend, previewing her panel uh, featuring UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Um, Coming up, talking about travel? Sure, why not? Um, JetBlue is really trying to close its deal with Spirit Airlines. The Department of Justice here in the U.S. is still reviewing the case. They also want to expand uh, and take some flights and routes to Paris He told me by the summer it could be looking pretty good. We're going to bring you some of that conversation we have with CEO Robin Hayes. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB, Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele, and you are Christine Aquino is over in the UK. Christine, how would you feel if you took off? You were in the the air for 16 hours, and then when you landed, (laughs) you were in the exact same place when you took off.
4: I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. I, 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 I might want to scream, but maybe I just want to go to sleep. I mean, that
0: sounds pretty terrible. And that actually happened to a flight that was leaving Auckland and going to JFK. Then there was um, a power outage or uh, an issue in the JFK Terminal 1. They couldn't land. So halfway through the flight, they had to turn around and go back to Auckland. This is just one In a series of debacles that we've seen, whether it's Lufthansa, whether it's issues with the FAA here in the U.S., there's problems with airlines flying in the sky. It may not be an airline problem, but it sure is uh, an infrastructure problem. So I sat down with Robin Hayes, the CEO of JetBlue, along with Stephen Carroll, um, and we talked about some of these issues facing the industry.
7: I think that there were definite challenges that we saw last year as demand came back very quickly and uh, airlines have staffed, uh, staffed up. I mean, what I'd say at JetBlue, we've got more people now working for us than we had in uh, 2019. Uh, you know, we're very focused on uh, flying our schedule. You know, we've, we are, we've got a lot more reserve uh, pilots, mm-hmm. uh, in-flight crew members around to make sure that we can complete those trips. We can't do anything about the weather, and weather is always going to cause a disruption, but we want to make sure that we can get people to where they want to sure. go.
0: But one of the main issues is that, you know, a power cord's cut, and all of a sudden planes can't take off from Terminal 1 in JFK. I mean, this is kind of crazy things. Uh, Just ask Southwest that has to, like, really upgrade all their systems. Um, Is there anything that you can do? On, on your end, do you have to upgrade stuff? Do you have to upgrade systems?
7: Well, we, we've been going through a multi-upgrade uh, system in our uh, systems operations center the last uh, few years. We've got a great team at work. And um, you know, I think uh, after the adjustments we had to make last August, uh, we completed, we did a, a really good job during the summer getting people to where they wanted to go, largely because of some of those upgrades that we had made. So, mm. look, I understand the frustration that exists. Um, and it you know has been a very challenging year. But, I mean, in the United States, about 20,000 flights happen every day. And the vast majority of those happen with happen without any issue at all.
0: Fair. We just like to pick on the ones that don't, to be uh, fair. Um, but in, in general, can you give me some perspective? Like, does a government need to upgrade some systems here? Like, are, is the infrastructure really not adept and in tune with what your business actually does?
7: So, you know, I'm, I'm very proud. The U.S. has a very safe industry. You know, the FAA has done a tremendous job. Uh, the airlines are, 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 are very committed to that partnership, Um, but there is an opportunity for the FAA to do two things. First of all, we have to get our controllers fully staffed Um, and that's important because the system's safe, but what will happen if there's a shortage of controllers, we'll just see more delays and and cancellations. So, we've got to get controllers fully staffed and then the uh, FAA has a multi-year technology upgrade program, Um, we've got to get that finished. The airlines are equipped, you know, you get on a JetBlue airplane, we've got satellite communications, we've got data to come in the cockpits, everyone's trained to use it. Um, but we need to get the FAA at the, at the sort of further forward, if you like, with this uh, technology uh, upgrade. Hey Robin, it's Stephen in London. Hey, Steve. What's all this costing you then, in terms of you're talking about your own contingency plans, but also being affected by disruption calls elsewhere? So what does that mean for for your margins and for costs? No, you know, it definitely has added cost. I mean, um, last year we had to uh, um, hire a, a sig- significant number of extra crew members to just make our uh, schedule more robust to make sure that we could fly people to where they wanted to go, and it, it does come at a cost. Um, but uh, you know, there were so many more constraints on the system now than there were in 2019 or all airlines have to do this you know we've all got more people than we had before we've we're flying airplanes less hours per day than we were before and we're doing that because we want to make sure in the US that the system is 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 more robust and so it does come at a cost but you know there's a much longer term cost uh, if we can't fly people reliably to where they want to go
0: that was part of my conversation with Robin Hayes, a CEO uh, of JetBlue, and Christine. We also talked about Spirit Airlines and how the DOJ uh, review is going. He wouldn't say, but he did say we could probably take a plane to Paris in the summer from New York on JetBlue.
4: Very exciting. So maybe we can meet in Paris, Alex. (gasps) Yes, I'll take JetBlue. Is JetBlue
0: like a thing over there? Do you
4: guys talk about it as much as we do? Not really. Not really. We have our own uh, special airlines
2: over here.
0: Fair enough. I think Robin Hayes is really trying to change that part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, coming up, we're going to break down the market action this week. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Christina Kino is in for Guy Johnson. She's over in London. Um, Janet Henry is pretty awesome. She's HSBC Global Chief Economist. She's also a member of the ECB Shadow Council. Um, she has very strong opinionated views on Europe, UK, as well as the Fed. And I got to sit down and talk to her along with Stephen Carroll earlier earlier on television. And we started talking about, is it possible if the ECB could go to 4% terminal rate? Here's part of this conversation.
8: Uh, well, you know, a year ago, we didn't think they'd get to two and a half. So 4% can't be ruled out. I think you know, the ECB has been quite clear. Um, Lagarde was very clear at the last meeting. She doesn't think that they are in restrictive territory yet. And she clearly thinks that they need to get there. So the question is whether something breaks cracks before they get to 4% or even beyond that. um, Clearly credit growth is starting to slow down and we may get some better news on inflation, but for the ECB, as with all the other major central banks like the Fed and like the Bank of England, it really comes down to what happens regarding um, the labour market. So no, we're not forecasting 4%, but could they get there? Absolutely, it's a possibility.
7: I wonder then, when you talk about the labour market, the picture in the UK is obviously so different because of Brexit. We know that's one of the factors that's taken workers out of the economy here. How different is the picture to the UK when you look across the rest of Europe?
8: Well, labour markets everywhere have been suffering from uh, a relative shortage um, of available workers. Um, Certainly, we had the UK labour market release earlier this week. Um, There there was something for the hawks in there. There was something for the doves in there. Um, We did actually see a slight downside surprise on some of the headline earnings figures. It's just ex-bonuses. It was quite worrying um, as well. So, the UK has got particular Brexit-related labour market issues. But... Europe, of course, um, has much more use of things like short shift schemes. So it doesn't generate slack. When people lose their jobs, they go on short shift schemes. They've already started to push up to some degree. They are more likely to have multi-year pay deals. So inflation falling from nine to eight to seven to six doesn't mean that workers don't stop asking for higher wages. And when you're setting wage numbers that might be two or three year deals, it takes a lot longer for um, wage growth to actually fall out of the system. So I think, yeah, they face different labor market challenges, Mm -hmm. but there are probably more rigidities in areas of the Euro area um, than there are in the UK. In the UK, it's more of a supply issue.
0: So on the UK for a second, um, Rishi Sunak in Northern Ireland, um, if it's possible that we get a better deal here uh, for Northern Ireland and that part of Brexit can be somewhat resolved, take into account then how some of the data is surprising to the upside, like retail sales today. Could the UK economy actually be in a better place? Like, kind of my running commentary is like, man, the UK is in a bad spot. And how wrong could I actually be?
8: (laughs) Uh, You're right. The the retail sales figures were better. Uh, They were up half a percent. um, But that only reversed less than half of the drop that we saw in December. Um, The fact is, inflation is absolutely taking its toll on the UK economy. The level of retail sales is still below, in volume terms, below pre pandemic, um, but people are spending 14, 15% more on it because of the inflation um, story. But absolutely, um, if, if we were to get um, any improvement in terms of trading relationships um, regarding our largest trading partner, which of course the EU still is, um, anything that reduces frictions, improves, improves efficiency, that would be better. Um, anything that improves on the immigration side might ease some of these labour shortages um, that that are actually starting to feed through. And also one other release that we've had in the last week in the UK was, was GDP, um, GDP in the UK, um, they, you, you, uh, they had good news on the headlines, it avoided recession, it didn't grow, it avoided recession, but thankfully, we did see some better numbers on business investment. The UK has lagged on business investment. That was revised up to some degree, which is a bit of a relief, given that the super deduction is about to expire. So if we were to see more of this business investment feeding through, that would actually improve the supply side of the economy. And actually, our UK economists and you said, UK analyst recently published um, a whole report on this topic. Um, will will the, the lion roar again? Could it roar again? Thinking about some of the upside risks on the UK.
0: That was Jenna Henry, uh, chief economist over at HSBC. Um, it feels like, and we said this earlier uh, with Lucy, it feels like a really complicated time to have major money in the market or to be a central bank and have to create policy with you know, pessimistic outlook in the longer medium term, let's say. But day to day, things aren't as terrible as we think. That's 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 confusing.
4: Absolutely, Alex. And it really feels like there's kind of a uh, discussion to be had among investors whether the shorter term dynamics kind of how does that fit into their longer term view? Because you could be someone who still believes, for instance, that we're going to mm-hmm. be heading to a recession later this year. But what we're seeing now in terms of the data just isn't pointing to that. Mm-hmm. It's very, very tempting to kind of make a U-turn and reconsider, well, maybe maybe the no landing um, scenario could gain some traction. But, right.
0: And then, yeah. you know, do you chase a rally then, based on like if, if that's your view over the longer term, medium term? Do you chase a rally when there is one, and 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 that, or do you say, okay, I'm going to underperform in the short term if I benchmark, but in the longer term my view will hold? I feel like that's a tricky conversation to have, and I also wonder if that's what's leading to all this day of options stuff. So one-day options expiration here in the U.S., and you have to wonder if it's going to eventually go over to Europe as well. You don't want to take a long-term view, so you're going to buy something relatively cheap to just be protected over 24 hours.
4: Absolutely. You know what it smells like to me? Mm. It smells like FOMO.
0: Yep, yeah, I, I would not agree. I, I would not disagree. I, you know, it's like a short-term FOMO because what if, what if everything is a little bit better? Like, what if the rally continues?
4: Yeah. And, and I think it's also a market. It tells you a lot about the market's uh, psychology right now, which is that it seems very, very eager to latch onto any sort of good news, which is understandable, given that 2022 was just such a tough year for everyone involved.
0: Yeah, it doesn't take much uh, to see that potential upside. What are you looking for uh, next week? What, what, are you, what are you most interested in?
4: Well, next week, uh, I think we're going to be taking a look at uh, just what's happening in the UK economy, more signs of uh, consumer strife. We're going to be looking at manufacturing indexes as well. So that's mm. going to be
0: quite interesting. So, yeah. That's You're what, into that. That's I'm I, I love me the yeah. PMIs. Although, I'm going to be away, so I'm not going to worry about that. Christine, thanks a lot. I appreciate the last two days. Uh, Guy will be with you uh, on Monday or Tuesday. It's a holiday on Monday. Um, have a great weekend, everybody. This is Bloomberg.